Uh, last year we did a series uh, back at Richardall. It was called Is That in the Bible? Where we looked at a bunch of idioms, a bunch of things Aussies say that actually find their root in the Bible. Uh, you might uh, know a few of them. If I said to you it was like watching a lamb to the slaughter, uh, what are you thinking? Someone's being led into an absolute kind of, they're about to get stomped on. Sports, normally that's what you see. Uh, maybe you've heard the phrase, eat, drink and be merry because tomorrow we die. It's kind of expressing that idea that we should live it up now. Uh, maybe you've heard the phrase, pride comes before a fall. Uh, that's a pretty common one. All the writings on the wall, it's obvious that something's about to happen. Uh, and this one, to go the extra mile. All these phrases actually find their foundation in the Bible. We use them so often, but perhaps maybe not in the context which they were originally used. Uh, the passage we're looking at today even comes off the very lips of Jesus. Uh, I wonder what comes to mind when you think about that phrase. Uh, maybe you think about hotels who go the extra mile to keep their kind of guests really happy. Uh, maybe a teacher who goes the extra mile for that student who's struggling to get kind of understanding on a particular subject. Maybe a person who's going the extra mile is someone who wants to help out their friends or their neighbours and, and kind of going out of their way to do so. Or maybe you think of that good customer service officer who goes the extra mile to get the problem resolved. I, I don't know what comes to mind for you, but let's take a look at what Jesus has in mind when he uses it in this, in this passage in Matthew's Gospel. And this particular phrase, unlike some of the others, is actually often missed when people are reading through the Sermon on the Mount. And I get it. Often we take it for granted because it's probably kind of packed into one of the, the most dense sections in the Bible. I mean, this is one of the greatest, the greatest sermon ever preached. Not by Daniel, but by Jesus himself. And so here, Jesus is saying a whole bunch of things, and he's turning a bunch of things on their head, things that people take for granted. I mean, Jesus has said things like, you've heard it said, uh, do not murder, but if anyone uh, murders, they will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, if anyone's angry uh, with his brother or sister, will still be subject to judgment. He said, you've heard it said, uh, do not commit adultery, but I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery in her, his or her heart. Immediately in the context of the phrase they're looking at, uh, Jesus says things like, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil, do it. On the contrary, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Uh, immediately following this phrase, uh, Jesus says, you've heard it said, love your neighbour and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. So I reckon you could be forgiven if maybe you've missed this phrase in the past. You probably could be forgiven if being overlooked, but I'm convinced that if we truly understand what Jesus means when he said these words, it actually helps you understand the rest of this section of his sermon, but but in context, the whole Sermon on the Mount. If you understand what Jesus is getting at here, it helps you to work out what Jesus is getting at. And trust me, it's not about marketing, it's not about customer loyalty, it's not about uh, doing good in your workplace to get a job promotion, it's not even about being a good friend. Uh, so let's take a look at this phrase together, and we'll think about it in the context of, first of all, how the crowd that Jesus was preaching to, which is mostly Jews, would have heard this phrase, what did it mean for them to go the extra mile? And then we're going to flesh out what it looks like for us to go the second mile. And then finally, I want to try and convince you why we should be living in the extra mile. So here, what did the crowd hear 
when Jesus said, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Well, if you were a Jew living in Israel in the days of the Roman occupation, a Roman soldier could actually commandeer you to carry their equipment. It could be up to a hundred pounds of equipment, and it was law that if a Roman soldier asked you to do it, you had to do it. And we actually see this happen in the Bible. We see it in Jesus' passion narrative. I don't know if you remember, after Jesus had been scorned and beaten, and he's dragging his cross up to Golgotha, there's a man coming in from the fields named Simon of Cyrene, and Jesus is struggling to carry it. So the Roman soldiers, what they do, they commandeer Simon of Cyrene and force him to carry the cross all the way to Golgotha. That was this law in action. And it would have happened frequently to the point where Jews in, in the day, they would erect a mile marker just outside of town or outside of their farm, so they knew exactly how far they could had to go before they could put down the equipment that they were forced to carry. I mean, you can imagine it, right? Imagine you've worked really hard out in the fields all week. It's finally the Sabbath, you're going down to the lake with a few friends, and they've brought your favourite brie and some crackers, and you're about to enjoy a lovely picnic, and in comes a Roman soldier and says, Hey you, you're carrying my gear, let's go. I don't know about you, but I know what I want to say to that soldier, and I wouldn't say it in the pulpit. <laughs> but here, Jesus is stepping into this moment. A moment that a lot of his audience, these, these Jewish uh, listeners, would have experienced. And Jesus is like, you know what? Every bit in you, every part of you, once you've travelled that one mile that you have to go, you just want to drop that equipment and tell them where to go. Because after all, this is not God's law. This is a Roman law. After all, this is, this is not a law that is just. This is kind of very oppressive. It was targeted. It was racially driven. Socially driven. It wasn't some kind of a good thing to do. It was kind of, kind of pushed against the kind of ethnic classes, the social classes. And I wouldn't be surprised if this law was something that got abused. And so what does Jesus say about this law? Does he say, hey, stand up for your rights. Don't do it. Hold on to your principles. You belong to God, not Rome. Tie yourself to that tree and don't go. Protest. Well, no, he doesn't say that. Uh, Does he say, hey, look, you have to do it, but make sure that Roman soldier knows how much you loathe him while you're doing it. Sounds more like me or my wife telling me I need my clothes away, but it doesn't sound like what Jesus says here. What about this? Does he say, you know what, it's not just, and I know it's hard, but do it with joy as unto the Lord. I mean, you probably could have. And Paul says something very similar in 1 Timothy, that slaves should do their work for their master as unto the Lord. Similar situation here, but no, Jesus doesn't even say that. Jesus says, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two. He says, walk that first mile. The soldier's expecting you to do that. But as he's expecting you to start unloading because you've reached that mile marker, look up at me and say, you know what? I've got another mile in me. You know, when we do that, it says something about who we are and what we think. When we think about this phrase, we quickly think about doing things to help people we like out. We think about helping out our neighbours or our friends or, or someone that we know at church. But Jesus says being willing to go the extra mile 
is about doing something that has nothing in it for you. And not about a job promotion, not about financial benefit, it's not about being willing to go the extra mile for your neighbour, it's about willing to go the extra mile for your enemy. Not because you like the person, but because your actions demonstrate something of who God is and who you are as one of his people. And if we're going to be able to do this, we're going to have to stop looking at people around us as simply people who need overthrowing. Roman soldiers that are oppressing God's people, and we're going to have to start looking at people as image bearers of God. People in need of grace, just like us. And I can't help but wonder if that's Jesus' plan here with this, this phrase, this, this teaching, this principle. I mean, you may have done this, I've done this multiple times with my kids. If they are fighting and they're arguing, uh, I've got four kids, like I said earlier, and so there's lots of dynamics in relationships, but often if there's fights between two, you get them, you pop them on the couch and say, until you solve this problem, you are not getting off this couch. You're staying together until you can resolve this. And eventually they kind of hash it out and they figure it out. It's a bit like that with Jesus, right? Go that one mile because you have to do it. It's law. But when you start walking down that second mile, the barriers are going to come down. You'll be able to start hashing some stuff out because that Roman soldier is no longer going to be seeing you as kind of like a uh, pack mule, but it's actually someone who cares about you. You're doing more than is expected. The soldier's not... And then you'll start looking at that soldier not seeing them simply as an you know, oppressive occupier, but you'll actually start seeing them as someone made in the image of God person who needs to know the grace of God. Which then, if you zoom out a little bit, if, if we understand that's what Jesus is getting at, and that's kind of what his listeners, the crowd, would have heard, well, then you can actually make sense a little bit more of this whole section of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, let me read to you again from verse 38 down to verse 42. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evildoer. On the contrary, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. As for the one who wants to take away your shirt, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to the one who asks you, and don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You've heard it said, Jesus says, and he's repeated this refrain all the way through his sermon. Time and time again, Jesus uses this refrain to to quote something from the Old Testament law and then to to reshape it into living uh, the new new covenant lifestyle. He says, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. He's pointing us to passages like in the Old Testament in Exodus 21, verse 24, or Leviticus 24, 20, or Deuteronomy 19, 21. It's something that's often referred to as the law of retribution. And at first it can sound a little bit harsh. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, really? But actually, if you recognise what it was actually doing, it's far about being harsh and about limiting excessive retaliation. The punishment had to fit the crime. It's better an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth than allowing a feud to escalate to a point where someone's always having to outdo the other person. This is all about the upper limit, the extent of uh, the, the punishment, not the exact requirement. And it was always to be administered by a court, not by vigilantes. This is not about vigilante justice. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. And then Jesus takes that even further. 
instead of demanding vengeance, Jesus says, go the extra mile in love and grace. Do not resist the evil doer. See the person as someone made in the image of God, and instead of demanding vengeance, reflect the astonishing, patient love of God in its place. Which will mean, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Uh, This is not simply about an act of violence, although obviously there's a bit of violence attached to it, but this is more about an insult. The slapping of someone on the right cheek was a way of saying, you're inferior to me. And so what's the answer to that? A zingy one-liner? A great comeback? Name-calling? Slap them back? No, hitting will only keep the cycle of evil going. Jesus says, turn to them the other cheek also. Go the extra mile in love. See, the insult, when you turn the other cheek, it's simply saying, hey, look, I'm so comfortable in who I am, I'm not inferior. I'm a child of God. I know who I belong to. I don't need to stand up for my own rights because I know who I belong to. Go the extra mile, turn the other cheek. And then in verse 40, go the extra mile by repaying more than what's required. As for the one who wants to sue you and take away your shirt, let him have your coat as well. Now, some say this is about being falsely accused of something, and, and maybe, but it's not actually quite clear in Jesus' words here. So I actually reckon it probably is leaning more towards a legitimate accusation. You, you've borrowed money and you can't repay it. Or you've done something and it's, you, you've harmed someone and, and, and you, there should be some kind of, kind of repayment. And so you're now being sued for your shirt. Now, obviously, your shirt's not going to cover the costs of what it is that you you owe, but that's not the point. Being sued for your shirt was more about humiliating the person being sued than it was about the actual dollar value of what you're getting out of the other person. And and Jesus says, if this happens, well, go the extra mile. Give them your cloak also. A garment that is far more valuable, but, but get this, it's a part of your garment that even the poorest person had the right to keep. It was law. It was protected. People couldn't take your cloak. And if you gave it as collateral, in the Old Testament we see this in Exodus 22 and Deuteronomy 24, if you gave your cloak as collateral, they had to return it to you by nightfall so that you had your cloak for night. It was protected in law. And Jesus says, if you've been sued for your shirt, voluntarily surrender both your shirt and the one thing that they can't have by law. Go the extra mile. Give more than what's required. Which is similar to what he says there in verse 42. Go in the extra mile in generosity. Give to the one who asks. Do not turn away the one who wants to borrow from you. Now the idea here is not about giving unequivocally. Jesus' point isn't that his followers should all become poor beggars themselves. It's not a pragmatic rule. But it is a radical expression of a disciple's unselfish concern for others. The principle here is if those who have a need, you should be willing to try and meet those needs, even when it comes at an inconvenience to you. Paul says it this way in Philippians 2. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. 
Everyone should look not only to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. When it comes to the needs of others, followers of Jesus are to go the extra mile, go beyond what is expected in love and grace. You know, going the extra mile is, is never an easy thing. It's far lonelier in the second mile than it is in the first. Because the first mile, that's what's expected of everyone. The second mile, well, that's about unbridled generosity and grace. The second mile is going to require people to swallow their pride. The second mile is going to require people to abandon self-interest. The second mile is going to require people to be slow to anger and quick to forgive. People who live in the love of God, people who know the grace of God, are called to live in the second mile. Okay, at this point you're probably sitting there screaming, there's an inner voice saying, Shane, this is not fair. We deserve to be treated better than that. How can I possibly surrender all my rights? How, how can I expect uh, people to treat me so harshly and just turn the other cheek? Are we just meant to be doormats? Let people walk all over us? To that I want to talk to you, I want to point out three things. First of all, living in the second law, living like this, it actually means that justice does not need to be taken out in our own heads. Now, I don't want you for a second to think that Jesus, what he means here is that you shouldn't seek justice full stop. If you are in an abusive relationship, if you feel unsafe, you should go to the authorities. You should go to the police. In fact, the best way to love someone is to bring sin that's kept in the shadows out into the light. And Paul tells us in Romans 13 that the governing authorities are God's servants, wielding the sword that they may restrain and punish the wicked. And so there could be opportunities, possibilities that you must, must go forward and speak to the authorities to seek justice. And if you do that, that's not undermining Jesus' teaching here. Jesus' point here is that matters of justice should never be taken into our own hands. Because it doesn't become justice then, it becomes vengeance. We need to live in the extra mile. We need to live in love and grace. We need to show that to the world around us as followers of Jesus. And sometimes that's going to mean going to the authorities. And sometimes it's going to be seeking how to forgive. That's the first thing. Secondly, going the extra mile in love and grace, it's not a mute strategy. It's actually a better strategy. Again, listen to Paul's words. This time from Romans 12. Friends. Do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath. Because as it is written, vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For in doing so, you will be heaping fiery coals on his head. Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. Notice there's two things here that Paul says that that going the extra mile, how, how it makes it a better strategy. The first thing he says, because it leaves room for God's vengeance. It allows God to deal with it. Whether it's by the sword of the governing authorities, or whether it's his wrath poured out on sin on Judgment Day, or whether it's his wrath poured out on his son at the cross, in any way of those three, 
God's justice will be done. We don't need to take revenge. Jesus will repay evil. We don't need to be paying evil with evil. I don't know about you, but if I did, I'm far more like the hog out of Avengers than God. I go green and mean. I don't go an eye for an eye. I go for an eye and an ear and a tooth and maybe a kneecap. I don't know, but if you open the door for vengeance for me, I just want to go extreme. But God, God is just in every way. When he pours out vengeance, he does it so in a perfect way. Whether through governing authorities, or the day of judgment against him, or on his son at the cross. And we dealt with But the second thing Paul says here in Romans 12 is, by not seeking to, to take vengeance in your own hand, allowing God to do it, you're actually heaping fiery coals on the heads of those who mistreat you. It's actually a quote from Proverbs 25, and it reminds us that, that if we meet evil with love and grace, we actually shame those who have evil intent. As a result, it'll either bring a harsher judgment on them on Judgment Day, or it'll bring them to repentance. Either way, that's good news, right? God seeks justice, or they'll come to repentance and come to see their need for the grace of God. Giving room for God to administer his justice is important. So, living in the second mile is not a new strategy. It's a good strategy. It allows God to be God. By living in the extra mile, it also shows us that sorry, it's hard to live in the second mile, but ultimately living in the second mile is not about our own strength, it's about relying on the strength of the Christ. Because he went the extra mile for us. Right? Like 1 Peter 2. I'm going to read from verse 21. If you're a quick flicker, you can find it. 1 Peter 2, verse 21. If not, just listen to these words. For you were called to this, because Christ also suffered for you leading an example that you should follow in his steps. He did not commit sin, and there was no deceit found in his mouth. When he was insulted, he did not insult in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that having died to sin, we might live for righteousness. Not only has Jesus called us to serve him in this way, he has served us in this way. Jesus, even though he'd done nothing wrong, he allowed himself to be accused for those who put their trust and faith in him, for us. He was put on trial for us. He was slapped and spat on and didn't defend himself. He didn't fight back. He was sentenced. Sentenced to die on a cross. Forced to carry that cross until the weight was too great and they commandeered someone else to take it the rest of the way. Jesus was then nailed to that cross. As he hung on that cross under the wrath of God, he didn't curse his oppressors. Instead he prayed for them. He prayed that God would forgive them. 
seeking to forgive their insults, forgive their violence, forgive their accusations, forgive their murderous actions. And so Jesus, our Saviour, our King, the one who did nothing wrong, if he's willing to live in the extra mile for people like us, sinners, broken, wretched, why wouldn't we want to live in the extra mile for him? Pray that that would be the case. The church here in Gympie, that we wouldn't be a church that's willing only to go to that one mile marker. Only willing to go as far as to be expected. But as a church, by the grace of God, knowing the love of God that's found in Christ Jesus, that we would be willing to go beyond that mile marker and walk the second mile. Would you pray with me? Father, we are so grateful. So grateful that your son Jesus is willing to go all the way to the cross for us. So Lord, would you help the reality of all of what that means for us as followers of Jesus to help us to walk in this extra mile, to go beyond what is expected, into that space where, where people don't expect us in generosity and in love to give more than what is required. And in doing so, as Jesus himself says, this is how they'll know that you are my disciples, by the way in which you love one another. Help that to be a reality for us. How we conduct ourselves would demonstrate who we belong to. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.